a long, long time ago, when magic was the only science known to man. There dwelt in the land of Ludor, an evil wizard named Mananan. He was very learned in all matters of the heavens and the earth. Although he was powerful, he was a lazy son of a bitch, and instead of using his vast power to complete his household chores himself, he instead impressed a very young boy to do his bidding, taking the lad when he was only a year old. Unfortunately for Mananan, boys grow up and become adventurous young men, as his slave grew in stature and in strength, the wizard was irritated to find him poking around in areas of the house where he didn't belong. One day, when his slave was 18 years of age, the wizard found him practicing magic spells. This was the last straw. Suddenly, the earth began to shake and his slave was no more. Only a small pile of ashes remained where he had stood. Vowing never to let the servants reach manhood again, Mananan resolved to destroy each slave on their 18th birthday. The years passed, and the wizard went out and found another small boy to be his slave. To direct suspicion away from himself, the wizard took the boy from a castle in a faraway land called Daventry. He was more careful with this child and watched him closely. Not knowing the boy's true name, the wizard chose for him the name of Gwydion. The years passed, and Gwydion grew from a boy into a young man, never knowing the truth of his royal birth. As his 18th year approached, he began to grow restless, longing for freedom and adventure. And so, despite the wizard's terrible warnings, he began to wander from the house when his master was away, always taking care to be back before he returned. Until finally, one day, he began to plot his escape. He knew the journey would be perilous, but could not yet imagine the dangers that would await him. Bandits, giant spiders, gorgons, and inflexible shipping timetables would all conspire to keep him enslaved. But through his daring, perseverance, and a whole lot of safe scumming, he would prevail. Join us as we guide Gwydion on his fateful odyssey in King's Quest III to Air is Human. Hello everyone, and welcome to another episode of The Graphic Adventurers. My name is Jim, aka Mr. Spatula. And I am Stephen, aka The Chap in the Hat. Hello there. Hello there. You're sounding uncharacteristically excited, Stephen. Ah, uh, that would be the wine. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. That's not uncharacteristically me, it's just good wine this time well it's third lockdown and 2021 i think it's time to break out the good stuff uh, post christmas why not it is 2021 after all it is we're giving you some insight there as to when this was recorded it has been something of a break for us since we first started recording this which was in mid 2020 this will be like well into 2021 by the time you guys listen to it but work and life and Christmas and all sorts of things and Boris Johnson have intruded, <laughs> unfortunately. So uh, so it's been a little bit of a while since we've uh, we've done some recording, but we're very excited to be back. So thank you for joining us. So in the 
past few weeks, stroke months, Stephen, how have you been? What have what have you been filling your ample time with? Uh, it goes no surprise that uh, as a utility worker, I have been at work. <laughs> there, there has been storms. Um, there has been COVID. There has been all kind of things thrown. We, we kind of still have to work. Yep, you are, as they would say, a key worker. Would that be correct? I am. Well, I'm, I feel somewhat uh, overshadowed by the people who actually do the actual the grunt work. You know, the, the main workers like the NHS. I, I don't want to have to deal with the, the general public being assholes. So, well, nobody does. I mean, it's, I'm sure even the doctors and nurses don't want to have to deal with with that. No, no, the general. Liquor assholes, you know this. We are part our, of our the general, general public. public our general public will probably admit that they know assholes. Okay, will, I, will you freely admit on this podcast today, Stephen, that you, being a member of the general public, are an asshole? Oh, absolutely. <laughs> Certainly when you're uh, in a queue or waiting for... Oh, Christ, yes, yes, I sphincter away! <laughs> <laughs> Thank you for that mental image. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. Um, yes, I would. I would maybe not in quite so graphic terms, but I would. I would say the same. Whilst you are not on the front lines, healthcare-wise, you are. You do literally keep the lights on. So um, I would like to extend my my gratitude to you, sir, because every, we, everyone needs light, don't they? Uh, uh, thank you. Um, seems a little bit. This. Let's move away from this because it seems a little bit self-indulgent. Move up, <laughs> move away from this. Very well. Um, um, I, I, I will do so. Um, so yes, you've been working. You've been very busy. Uh, I have. I mean, I have been working. Not very hard, but I've been working. Uh, I am not a key worker. However, I do have a job, and it has kept me somewhat busy in the uh, in the past few months. Um, fatherhood has kept me more busy. That's been yeah, tiring. Now, that, that's something I will have to congratulate you on, actually, because there's no way I could... Sure, because it's easier than you think. Self, uh, you know, like homeschool uh, and or bring up... Uh... He's two. I'm not homeschooling. <laughs> He's not learning. Well, I, I, I don't know. I, I, I can't even stand my own uh, nephews. <laughs> no, no, that's not true. That's not true. They're going uh, to not... be listening to this. Nah, they won't listen to boring Uncle... Uncle Steve. Steve. That has taken up a, a good deal of my time. However, I have been uh, trying to fill my leisure hours, to use the American pronunciation, um, with some other things in my time. So I've gotten more into gaming than I used to be. I got a new gaming PC, which I was very excited about. Oh, the whole three... Uh, th is it 3080? 3080. I managed to snag a 3080. Please, Bast. listeners, do not come to my house and burn it down or steal it. Well, I imagine by the time this comes out, they'll be like... 1790 or whatever or bollocks will be out by exactly. that time. I got it fair and square. I, I did not scalp it. I used no bots. I merely went through a, a custom PC building company who managed to procure it for me. Um, so I was very pleased about that. And I have been spending my time with this 3080, well, playing King's Quest 3 in such a... <laughs> It was like that. How's that for a segue? Ah, uh, <laughs> oh, yes. Oh, the maximum efficiency. <laughs> that is exactly. King's Quest. 
Oh, I can barely believe my eyes. Pushing on those pixels. large pixels. And on my um, on my 27-inch monitor, those pixels are rather large. They're like Minecraft blocks. But yes, so um, we're here today. Uh, I'm hoping you've stuck with us through that rather stilted bant session there to discuss our experiences with King's Quest 3. We have already been introduced to King Graham and his beautiful wife in the previous installments, King's Quest 1 and King's Quest 2. Uh, Rosaline? Uh, no, uh, Valenice. Valenice? Ah, oh, bugger, it's the one thing that goes around the bed, isn't it? Damn, of course it is. That's Yes, that's a Valance. Holly Valance. Rosella is his daughter, as we will discover in the game to come. However, Valenice is his wife. So, setting us up, who is the protagonist of King's Quest 3, James? It, it is not King Graham. No, it is not. And it is not Queen Valenice, nor is it Rosella. In fact, we don't even know that she's a character yet. So, spoiler alert, if you are listening, that's a bit late for that. But Anybody not born... I, I, I can't even remember. You'd have to be like, I don't know, about 40 years about old. About 80. Yeah. Well, this came out, King's Quest 3, I believe, in 1986. I will just consult my little cheat sheet for this. Because computers had moved on a little bit since the um, first two games had come out. Faster drives, faster disk write read speeds, larger memory uh, capacities on disks had pushed... Was it Ken and Roberta Williams, I believe, the... Um, the initial designers of these at Sierra, yes. pushed them to be a little bit more ambitious with this game. I've got a quote here from Roberta Williams, who said, My previous games, from Mystery House to King's Quest II, were all great, but they were essentially glorified treasure hunts, your object being to win the game by finding and collecting items. It was not possible to have bigger and more complex plots than that, thanks to technical limitation. And I think I would say, and I don't know about you, Stephen, that one of the things I immediately noticed upon playing this game, maybe not immediately, but within the first half hour or so, that it did take a, a significant departure in the way that it was set up than the first two games. Oh, absolutely. It was. Uh, it actually gave you, a, from what I remember, it gave you a little bit of backdrop. Now, it's 1986. 86, yes. 1986 was the original release of this. And it was uh, sort of extending that universe the universe building the universe but in a very sort of like a star warsy way but taking a story well the, the main story and then taking a bubble plot and then panning towards that bubble plot and that's where we start in king's quest 3 we do this separate bubble we have no idea who we are what, what's going off what the fuck this beardy dandruff chap is and um we don't know where it's starting off, but at the very end, we realise how the pieces fall together. We do. We do. It was almost like, do you ever watch Lost? No, but they made that up as they went along. Yeah, I know they made it up as they go along. But my point is that, like, sometimes a new series or a new episode would start and it'd start with, like, all these people who you've got no idea who they are or what's going on. Like the guy in the in the hatch, you know, at the beginning of... The second series. Desmond. Yes, yes. You know, it starts with him and you're like, who's this dude? Maybe it's a flashback to like Sawyer or something. And, you know, he's doing his exercises and he's in this apartment, you believe, and he's taking his medicine and making his smoothies. And then all of a sudden there's a big explosion and you zoom out and you find out that he's actually in this hatch thing that they were trying to get into through all of season one. And you're like, oh, 
I see how that connects now, and I understand not necessarily who this guy is, but where he fits in in the larger story. And I just thought it took an interesting approach in a similar way in this game. No, I agree. I agree. Yeah, so we'll we'll just get straight into it. I've done a very quick discussion of where the developers of this game hope to take the franchise. I'm not going to go into like the systems and everything they use because largely they're the same. You know, they're still using the, um, I think it's the adventure game interpreter, I, I believe, the AGI engine to create this game. So the graphics, whilst actually the way they've been drawn is a little bit more high quality, I would say. The actual resolution and the amount of colors you can have and the technical aspects of it are unchanged. There are some technical changes to the game that we will go through. But the biggest change for me is the narrative change. You start out as this young kid called Gwydion, and you are in thrall to a bitter, evil old wizard by the name of... Minanan! <laughs> Minanan. So this was... The wizard is called Mananan, and this was a source of much amusement for us for longer than it should have been, <laughs> I would say. <laughs> Oh, Minanan. Minanan wants me to sweep the floor. <laughs> uh, so for those of you listening um, in non-British territories, Nanan is a uh, is a British term for grandmother, I believe. Is that right? Yes. Yes. So it, especially in, in Northern territories, you know, when you talk about Minanan, that means my grandmother. <laughs> yeah, Minanan. <laughs> Precisely. <laughs> Minanan. <laughs> Uh, so yes, we found this very I'm gonna, amusing. I'm not going to go through all the dialects, but yes. <laughs> Your mileage may vary. Anyway, Mananan is in charge of our life, essentially. Controls everything that we do, dictates what we need to do, when we need to do it. And we're basically his housekeeper stroke slave, you know, cooking his meals. Yeah, I would say slave is possibly... Well, we are a slave. Well, yeah, we don't get paid. No, I know. So the slave is our situation. However, the job that we do is essentially housekeeper. Oh, yeah, fair enough. Okay, yeah. Fair so, you know, we cook his meals, we clean the house, we feed the chickens, we wash the floors, we polish the villainesses. And um, this is all done at his um, behest whenever he wants something done. And it's quite irritating because he just apparates in front of you. <laughs> exactly. You can't keep track of his movements and be like oh he's upstairs so i can do this now because he just appears in a puff of smoke and then if he's not happy about what you're doing or what you're not doing up goes the dreaded finger <laughs> that's literally a line from the game <laughs> to which my reaction was uh up where <laughs> getting out of the gutter he just points at you and then he can cast rather nasty spells on you so the first time for example i think we we figured out we were trying to clean the kitchen weren't we oh crikey the the first time yes and um we oh we found a multitude of things which turned out were actually useful uh yeah so there, there were uh, and there are some other things that weren't so useful i believe this is the first time we picked up stuff that wasn't necessary yes so We'll get to this in a minute, but basically the the layout of the first half of the game, at least anyway, 
is you just have to walk around and pick up as much shit as you possibly can. And I, I know this is like an adventure game. It's like, duh, but because <laughs> that's basically what adventure games are. But the previous games had, you know, you pick up something and you're kind of like, oh, that's interesting. You know, it's clearly going to have some sort of use later that's related to its embodiment, its nature. Weirdly enough, also like uh, future games have then taken on that uh, manifold. But this, it kind of didn't throw random stuff at you, but it threw stuff at you. You thought, ah, I can use this. And can you? You can for a lot of it, but not in ways that you would think of normally. It's not intuitive. No, it's not intuitive because, like in the past game, you know, you'd pick up a stew pot and you would use that stew pot to fill with stew to give to the starving peasants so that they would give you something in return. And that. Oh, Jim! Yes. Would you not use that stew pot as a rudimentary <laughs> crash helmet? Well, uh, you could. Did I try and do that? No, uh, you, you, would you not use that stew pot as a possible crash helmet to be fired out of a giant cannon? At oh, I, I see where you're Melly going. Island. <laughs> no, you would you would say fill because that's written on it, and then it would fill with stew. But my point is that the use for the pot in King's Quest One was related to what the pot is, whereas in King's Quest Three, a lot of the stuff you pick up and spoiler for later in the game is to be used in magical recipes to create potions oh right and yes. things like that yeah. and it's not always got anything to do with what it actually is so you know you might need to pick up a snake skin and it's like well what's that for well it's just to go in the cauldron to add to a recipe it's just an ingredient exactly exactly and most of the stuff that you will pick up in this game is an ingredient for a spell so the uses of them are not always apparent so basically you just have to go around collect as much stuff as you can and then head back to Minanan's laboratory to... oh i gotta go back to Minanan's pantry <laughs> and see if i can make up a spell on that stop it sorry i yeah sorry to to make up a spell but we're getting ahead of ourselves the point is that there's a lot of stuff to pick up in the game so the first thing that he asked you to do, in our game at least anyway, was to, to clean the kitchen. And we spent a lot of the time just looking for a broom, which I, it took us too long to find. So he apparated in front of us, um, up went the dreaded finger, and he teleported us to another room in the house where we were forced by some diabolical uh, force. We got queened! I guess. We did, to perform exercises very quickly over and over again against our will against our will in a rather comical fashion. <laughs> that's what i mean we got queaked <laughs> oh okay As, yes the red dwarf episode queeg is that rimmer he makes do the, the yes yeah well? <laughs> no i hate you ah, i'm dying <laughs> so yes we get queaked <laughs> so it was rather amusing but kind of pointless and going into some of the technical aspects there are a few aspects of this game which are quite a significant change so number one is there's a timer which there had not been in previous games uh, well there have been to a certain degree but not to that extent well yes there's literally a timer up in the top corner though this time which tells oh, you yes how long you've been playing the game which actually comes in in a lot of use because a lot of the puzzles are actually based on getting the correct timing so mananan has something of a schedule that he sticks to and you kind of have to just through trial and error learn this schedule 
so that you know when he's going to be away, when he's going to be doing something else, where he's going to be so you can avoid him, essentially, and go around collecting all the things that you need. From, from what I recall, you have to also have, from not only knowing when he's going to disappear, but when he comes back, is quite rightly yes. said. But when he gets back, you have to be in the right place and have in your inventory something to sustenate him uh sustenate yes is that a word he instantly wants food or so you have to have in your inventory when you meet him some food in order to quell that yeah i think he might give you a little bit of time to go and get something but certainly not very much um in situations like that but his meal times are very important as we will discover later so the game really can be split into two halves there's the half where you're in this kingdom, which is called Ludor, which is not Daventry, obviously, under the thrall of Mananem. And then at a certain point in the game, you manage to escape, and the second half of the game takes place after that. So we spent pretty much, I'd say, 80% of our time playing the game in that first half. Oh, absolutely. Well, most of it was trying to figure out what, the, what on earth we were supposed to be doing. Exactly, because it doesn't... And I, I'm torn on this. Because... Well, actually, I would, uh, I disagree with that. Most of the first half of the game, I would say the first three episodes, four episodes, yeah. even would be because we hadn't figured out one particular important <laughs> aspect. Yes, yeah, we'll we'll get to that. We were kind of dummies, but in our defence, games these days are very self-contained, and the game is expected to teach you everything as you play it these days because people don't like people don't buy boxes anymore you know people don't get loads of shit with the game it's people don't like... have an actual manual precisely precisely some people just get their games online from completely legitimate sources so that's just the way the world works these days but apparently in the 1980s having a manual was kind of a big deal it kind of helped you play the game it did yeah, it actually told you how to. And it gave you background on the story as well. Surely, they, was this part and parcel of sort of like the whole um, helping to break the copyright? Uh, well, yeah, there, there was... so uh, intentionally, I think, on their part. I think copy protection had not been a huge thing in like the early 80s, but as people started to be able to get drives that could actually write discs and computers with two disc drives in, which meant that you could copy one from the other and they became more available to consumers obviously pirating of games kind of went through the roof and it's sort of about the mid 80s so about this time really that copy protection does start to come in to a lot of games and this game does have actually quite a a good one really whether it was intentional or not or supposed to be used in that way or not i don't know but essentially the manual that comes with the game contains in it a list of spells that you need to complete the game and a list of ingredients and directions of how to create those spells and what to say and what to say and how to use them and if you do not have the manual or if you have not read the manual then there is absolutely no way in which you can complete the game it's impossible frankly it's bloody difficult even if you do have the manual to uh, to do it um, because you've got to literally type in every single thing that it tells you to completely as it tells you to and there are even some aspects of it which i think are, are pretty 
obscure, like actually being able to get to the right page in the spellbook, I don't think is outlined even in the manual particularly clearly. I think we may have had to look that one up. You could tell the people who made it were very much computer coders. Yes, you could. It's very go-to line 10, isn't it? Yes. Repeat. That You can tell from that little aside that I am not a coder. <laughs> I did. I did actually. You know when we were in electronics um, under Mr. Sharp many years ago? I was the only one in the class. I, I created something using a programmable integrated chip. I remember, I remember, and I was massively jealous that you got to use that. I was like, oh man, all I'm doing is a 555 timing chip, like a chop. I actually did do, during my GCSE electronics, a very small bit of coding on that, which was to make a quiz buzzer. Anyway, that's not important and nobody cares about that except you. And frankly, I don't even know whether you do particularly. I actually kind of, I do care. I kind of want to know. I want to know more. Tell me, tell me the lines of your code, James. Oh, I don't care about the lining. I just want to know what you, because it's all about logic and fuck it. Anyway, next. Continuing. What are we talking about? We're talking about the game in a rather haphazard fashion. I hope dear listener that you are um you are sticking with us i know we're sort of jumping around in time a little bit more with this one than usual but that's because the game itself is a lot more non-linear i would say than the previous game it's quite freelance isn't it it's uh... it is yeah there's those two halves and the second half is a lot more linear but the first half is very you know you you can explore the kingdom at your will or when Mananan's away, you can. You can collect things and do things in different orders, make your spells as you like, and yeah, it, it certainly doesn't as, hold... As long as Mananan isn't there. Yes. Uh, a, a lot of it is, like, trying to make him bugger off. And when he's buggered off, is like, trying to do all the shit, and then covering up the shit that you've done, like, going into the cellar, moving the book, mm. pulling a lever, putting the lever back, because if, if you've done all the stuff... And you get back because you've got to be in the house when Mananan returns. Yes, if he finds you, if he finds you out of the house, then you get, he turns you into a pillar of salt. Uh, if he finds anything, if he finds anything out of order, he instantly suspects you of being a wizard and kills you. He does. Actually, I, I, I think there's anything. There's like you're dead. Well, you oh, you you made my tea wrong. Bomb, you're dead. <laughs> there's a book missing. Bomb, you're dead. Why is a safe open? Bomb, you're dead. Why you be messing in my Bomb, you're you dead. Out... <laughs> Stop saying bomb, you're dead. Sorry. <laughs> you find out in the manual, if you read it, that actually he is planning on killing you anyway when you reach your 18th birthday, which explains... Bomb, you're dead. <laughs> why he's so trigger happy and, uh, you know, willing to get rid of his servant. Clearly, you've not been doing a very good job. Well, you, you find out later on that he's had a fair few... It just so happens that this child he's acquired. We'll get to that. Oh, sorry. Yeah, let's not, you know, jump the proverbial goose. Um, that's not a thing. But yes, so he is he's quite willing to end you as a sentient entity. You. Should you <laughs> should you have any Thing on you that is contraband um the game does help you out it doesn't tell you that this is what it does it might do in the manual i didn't read the whole manual but when you go into your inventory screen certain items um have an asterisk next to them and those items are the contraband items so if he finds you with any of those items on your person then bomb you're dead so 
one way in which you can make sure that he doesn't find you with contraband items, which can include even things as innocuous as, like, a dead fly. Or a chicken feather. A chicken feather. You, you literally feed the chickens, and if he finds a chicken feather on you, he's like, nope. That's too suspicious. <laughs> Boom! You're dead! So, <laughs> he... So, what you can do is you can hide it under the bed. Um, your bed. Because if nothing else, me and Nanan respects the privacy of your small hovel he does he doesn't respect your bodily privacy outside of it he doesn't respect your freedom he doesn't respect any rights of you as a person except he's like well no that i mean that's your space man you do what you want in your room i just don't want to know about it <laughs> i'm not putting my evil eye in there and i don't want any evil eye coming out of that room right so under your bed, in your little hovel, which is like an eighth of the screen of one. So, it's, I mean, it's probably under a hundred pixels. You can hide your contraband items. Now, I thought for a long time, and this is probably what extended our playtime originally, that you had to hide and retrieve every single item from there individually. So, if you have, like, rose petals or eye of newt or something like that, you have to be like, hide eye of newt under bed hide rose petals under bed hide mayonnaise under bed you know etc etc and get it all out similarly hide razzle magazine under bed <laughs> under pillow surely you want it to be readily accessible <laughs> but, but, but what happens if me nanan comes into my room <laughs> finds me reading razzle <laughs> oh god i had a flashback to my teenage years <laughs> Oh, this is not my Russell. <laughs> Have you ever read Russell? <laughs> Was it even a thing? I can't. Even... I think you'll find it's about a mature woman with a hardship of life. <laughs> I just read it for the article. <laughs> anyway, there is no copy of Razzle in in this game. In fact, you know, Mananan probably wouldn't have had that much of a problem with that. But fucking chicken feathers. <laughs> Not, not having that shit. He'll quite happily beat you to death if you beat yourself to death. But um, <laughs> bum. Thank you very much. Here all week. So you you can hide the stuff under, but you can actually, and I didn't realize this till later, put like hide all or get all from bed. So I'd been spending ages creating an Excel document of all the stuff we'd hidden under the bed just in case. I was scared that we'd forget about something. And then we wouldn't be able to get it back because we wouldn't be able to type it in. We did forget about a lot of the. Well, we, as you quite rightly said, what once you typed it in and it went under the bed, it didn't give you an option to come back. You couldn't be like, look under bed. And it would give you a list. To say, oh, under my bed, I have chicken feathers, a couple of copies of Hustle. You had to very much specify <laughs> what was under the bed. Large prophylactic that's leisure suit larry wrong <laughs> game wrong game we'll get to that one that's a future game how dare you go into the future um anyway we're getting sidetracked here basically your goal for the first half of the game is to escape the wizard and the way that you find out of doing this is that you can turn him into a cat or another animal well to be fair if you watch the video and god bless you if you have Yes. Uh, <laughs> it is a... God, it's a hole. <laughs> it is. It's, it's a long one. But yeah, there are certain spells in the book that you can read, and one of the spells that you are able to cast is to turn a 
human being irreversibly into a cat. And early on, you figure out that this is basically what you are meant to do to Minanan to escape him. Because he already has a, a cat around as well that's a complete bastard to you. Which is where my initial thought was. He's obviously had another predecessor. Well, our predecessor was obviously turned into a cat. Turned out, no, that was all in my head. No, he just killed the predecessors. If our predecessor had have been a cat, you'd have hoped he'd have been a little bit more forthcoming in his uh, in his help to us. But the cat's just a complete dick, as all cats are. Just no, it, yeah, it was just it wasn't in, it wasn't a former villager, it wasn't a former anything. It was just it's just a fucking cat. It's just a cat that trips you up on the stairs to his laboratory and makes you break your neck. What a prick! Exactly. Anyway, I don't think you get to get much revenge on the cat other than kicking him in certain. Um, scenarios. Oh, you do need his hair, though. I think at some point you have to pick him up. Uh, I think you do. Out. Yes. Yeah. Oh no, I think you can strike the dog and get the similar result. Yeah. Well, no, you need dog's hair for one of the spells, and you need cat's hair for. I think you need the cat's hair for the turn. Uh, oh, for the, the biscuit spell. Yeah, for the cookie. Uh, spoilers. Yes. So never mind about that. Yeah, you're his slave. He's got a weird schedule that you need to keep track of, and. Early in the game, he says, I'm going off on a journey somewhere, you know, be good, don't wreck the house. And he, he just leaves and assumes that you're so afraid of him, I guess, that uh, you will not do any harm. But this is the po first point in the game where you can leave the house, you can take the treacherous road down into oh, the town. Oh, fuck's sake. Yeah, that, I know. It's almost, almost King's Quest 1. Oh, no, no, sorry, tell a lie, it's not, because you... Do you mean the beanstalk? Beanstalk. <laughs> yeah, it's not as... It's nowhere near as bad as the beanstalk, but it is... It's annoying. It's, it gets there. It gets there. You've got to go down this really sort of treacherous cliffside. You know, clearly the designers thought, well, we've got to put some navigate the correct three pixels puzzle into this game, so we'll we'll make it going down the cliffside. So you get down to the bottom of the cliff where there's the village and there's various other things and you basically can spend some time, we spent a lot of time, too much time it turned out, and we had to reload and do it all again much quicker. But you can Twice. roam the countryside. I, I don't even know want to know how many times we actually did it. Quite a lot. You can roam the countryside and pick up various items that uh, will be useful in spells and in other things. So... For example, there's a desert that has a snake skin in it. If you go into the desert, though, you've got to be careful because Medusa lives there. Medusa. So you have to show Medusa a mirror in order to kill her. Oh, you actually did quite well here because I didn't realize the way that you survived long enough to do this is you just turn your back on her. Yes. Like yes. physically. Yeah, this is like hour like four. Yeah, something like hour four. And she just kept killing me before I could be like show mirror to Medusa. Uh, this is where it, King's Quest 3 sets itself apart from King's Quest 2 and 1. And not I wouldn't say the other games at the time, but it becomes quite logical in respect of, well, you uh, come up against Medusa. You walk straight forwards because that's what you do. Medusa to enters. What happens? You get turned stone. She turns you to stone. So what you do. What do you do? You walk onto the screen. And then you just turn around. Yeah. And yeah, you just don't look at her. Exactly. So you enter the screen and you turn around. And you don't look at her. You survive long enough to hold the mirror up and then she turns to stone, which actually is not mythologically correct. The whole point is that the mirror image of the Medusa 
doesn't turn you to stone because that's what Perseus used to see Medusa so that he could chop her head off. Anyway, I'm just going to get that out there. Well, Medusa is only only uh, one of many of the Gorgon family, which is uh, part of the Cheese Empire. Are you serious? I, 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 the Cheese Empire? No, no, no. I like, oh, no, like, as uh, in Medusa. Zo- okay, I didn't in, know in, that. in the Iliad, um, <laughs> Medusa is is a Gorgon. Yes, very good. Okay. I, I, yeah, I didn't get that. Sorry. So there's various other things around the forest that you can find. There's a bandit's hideout, and there's another timing thing in there where you've got to go in while they're asleep. There's a spider's web featuring quite a terrifying-looking shilob-like creature that will mess you up, especially if you fly into there as a fly, which you can do when you get the change into a fly spell. And there's a town as well with a shop where you can buy lots of goods, many of which are used in your ingredients, and a tavern, complete with tavern wench. Yes! Oh, and I forgot, there's also the Three Bears House. I'd actually forgotten about Three Bears House. I thought that was King's Quest 2. No, it is this one, because one of the things we missed was the thimble, which was in one of their drawers. Ah, yes. I, I, it might be one of my, you know, the Easter eggs or things that we missed. Yes, well, no, we didn't miss it completely. We just missed it for a while because we needed a thimble full of dew. Oh, right. Now, I'm, I'm never seeing a spoiler. I have a thing later on, which is uh, okay, things cool. that we could have done. So, yeah, the, uh, the Three Bears house, turns out the thimble is in their sewing drawer. So, apparently, bears can sew. Makes sense. They don't have opposable thumbs. But let's not uh, complain too much about the logistics of it's all right they may not have opposable thumbs but they do have bare arms they have the right to bear arms in america <laughs> anyway i don't know about <laughs> um anyway so in your first trip to the um world outside the house in which you have been raised you can collect a lot of different things and i think one of the first spells that you can go back and create and in case I haven't mentioned, the secret lair of Minanan is under the house and you've got to go into his office and move a certain book in a certain way and then pull a lever and then a trapdoor opens and you can go down into it. And there you find a lot of ingredients that are of use to you. You find the spell book and you find a pestle and mortar, which is also one of the key things that you can use to actually make the spells and the potions. But you've got to do it while he's away. So you... Go back and you can make an eagle spell, which will allow you to turn into either a fly or an eagle, which is particularly useful, I would say, because it means that you can actually fly down to the town rather than take the treacherous road. I believe you can use the um, map. Once you found the map, you can teleport anyway. You There's a teleportation spell. There is, which is another way they've mixed things up in this. I'm sure we did that. We did, yeah. There's another way they've mixed things up in this game as opposed to the last ones, in that there is a fast travel map that you can get. I can't remember exactly where you get it. Is it from the shop? Are you worried? A simple I don't remember will suffice. No, I think, see, this is what you, this is what you get if you accidentally play about three or four different games whilst also playing one game. <laughs> <laughs> and they all have magic maps. Um, well, I, I, whilst we were playing this, I was also playing Thimbleweed. And I wanted to say, ah, yes, you got it from the store. No, that And the was... Sheriff of Reno keeps stealing them all. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, eventually, in this channel, we will do Thimbleweed. And... Oh, that's, that's years off. We'll be 80 by then. Okay. But... Um... 
yeah, the map anyway is a, a change because in obviously in previous games, if you need to go anywhere, you had to walk all the way across the actual map to do it. Whereas here they've put this fast travel map in where you can choose to go to a certain square at your leisure. Obviously, you have to discover them first. Yeah, I don't think we used it as much as we should. I think we forgot about it a lot and ended up walking. Yeah, I, I think we were very much stuck in the the old style games, but definitely a pinnacle of the age of fast travel. Exactly. Uh, well, no, no, seriously, like fast travel. The, the fast travel hasn't been thought of prior to 1986. So market chaps, market. They are. They were pioneers, I would say. <laughs> fast travel, boom, in the book as shit that King's Quest did first. Shit that King's Quest did first, fast travel maps. So yeah, you can get one of those. And once you have gathered enough of the ingredients, you can start on your spells. I'll just quickly mention a few of the things in the house that we haven't before. So I talked about how to get to... Honourable mention. Yeah, how to get to the um, the laboratory in his office, which you're not allowed to go in usually, except to empty his waste paper basket. There's his bedroom, which is... I, I wanted to mention this because Minanan has um, some... Oh my god, it is... Loud taste. Fabulous. <laughs> it is a fabulous bedroom. <laughs> it is. To be fair, it is fabulous. It is. And I'm not even joking, it is lovely. Neon pinks and lavenders and all sorts of gaudy colours adorning his uh, his bedchamber. His boudoir, one might say. <laughs> his boudoir. <laughs> well, there's like, you know, there's like silk hangings and all oh, no. shit. Oh no, that's exactly the word. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, yeah, you don't get to go in there much apart from to empty his chamber pot, but... When you are in there, you can search his wardrobes, and I think that we were stuck for a little you bit. You can rummage in his drawers. You may rummage in his drawers. You may diddle his valance. There, there are some other things which we did do, but we'll come to that later on. Okay, I eagerly await this. So, yeah, there are a couple of things we missed in there, actually, for a while, which I think we may have had to uh, look up eventually, like uh, the key on top of the wardrobe. It was very escape room, wasn't it? It was, yeah. There were a few things which uh, you wouldn't think of, you know, like feel on top of wardrobe and things like that. Um, I, I think the, the other one was take out robes or something like that. Oh, yeah, take out the robes in his wardrobe so you can get behind them and find some items there as well. I think that might be where the mirror was. Yeah, you have to remove the clothes in order to find something else inside of the cupboard. You do, yeah. I don't know if there's an easier way of doing that, but I think that's what we ended up having to do. In the that's what you had to do. I mean, I'll get to this later when we come to our thoughts on it, but I quite like the fact that you had to think a little bit more about a lot of stuff in the game. Absolutely, absolutely. You had to, you had to do things that you would actually have to do in real life. If you're wandering into a cupboard, yeah. say you wanted your favourite shirt, yeah. if you had to go into your cupboard and find your favourite shirt... I don't wear shirts anymore. You wouldn't say, get favourite shirt. You'd go, open wardrobe. <sighs> open door of wardrobe. wardrobe. Yeah, I know. I did like the extra level of challenge to that. I mean, that you can always take these things too far, you know. Breathe, put right foot forward, etc. There has to be some level of the game doing it for you. But I just like that they put a few extra steps here and there for you to have to figure out. But the thing is, the bits that they put in weren't too far. As in, like, move clothes or yeah. examine robes. I don't want to go too far on this point, but 
as with a lot of things in this game, there's an added layer of complexity to it, which I appreciated, but also maddened me in some ways, and uh, I'll talk a little bit later about Oh, crikey, I have no doubt. We obviously missed some stuff, because we're very much in the 21st century. We, we didn't... We haven't moved back enough, if that makes sense. I see what you're saying. I mean, I did... We haven't moved back enough in order to appreciate what we're looking at. True. This was before my time, but I was raised on, you know, the 90s LucasArts adventure games. So I have some appreciation of the mechanics of these things. But yeah, I'm not of the telltale press forward to complete game era. Press F for respect. Yeah, it certainly is a little bit more complex than the previous games. So the only other room of note really is the attic, which you find the dead fly in. And it also has a telescope that I assume Mananan uses to spy on the good citizens of Ludor. His wankatorium. Um, possibly, yes. Just like you have yours. At the top of my tower, absolutely. Not you personally, I meant Gwydion. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Anyway, once you've gathered enough of these ingredients, you can do the spell which allows you to become an eagle or a fly, which is a very useful spell. I absolutely love that. The eagle spell especially is useful because it allows you to defeat the spider, which is located in the town. Not in the town, sorry, in the cave. It gives you a lot of spells. Should we just go through some of the spells that are available to you? Please, please do. So I'll read through them as generally the order that they have. So there is understanding the language of creatures. This allows you to, as Dr. Doolittle did, talk to the animals. The first animal that we obviously talked to was... The cat. The cat. And the cat didn't have much to say apart from piss off Gwydion. Uh, well, 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 to be fair, after kicking him, booting him, being tripped over him, which you, you kind of expect from a fucking cat. Exactly. You can't blame him too much. But yeah, no, that allows you to talk to some of the animals. That does come in handy later. Um, so there is the flying like an eagle or a fly, which we've discussed. And flying like an eagle, as I just said, does allow you to pick up the spider and drop it into the sea which seems a particularly cruel fate, but clearly you don't have time for uh, niceties. Transforming into another cat. Sorry, transforming another into a cat. This is the main one you're trying to do for the first half of the game. This is like the fucking great big hint of you transform something else into a cat. Yes, this is what you do to Minan, especially as the spell particularly says you make food out of it, and then if they eat the food, they get turned into a cat. And it is not reversible. <laughs> there is no backlash from this. Exactly. It's okay, you can do this. He's fucked. He's just a cat, and he can't do anything about it. Which is what gave me the impression that the cat, what was fucking around, was something that was important it was like it's a clue now what they're doing is they're giving us valuable bits of information somebody's even been turned into a cat so let's talk to the cat what does the cat say didn't help us the cat calls us a prick i mean we are a prick to the cat well we are but th th you have no idea the excitement that balled around in my head <laughs> well you will if you watch the uh if you watch the videos the podcast good plug so, other spells include teleportation at random. I don't think we really used this one. Well, teleportation at random was, I would say, that I think that was their get-out clause for um, if you being able to move around. Or if you get caught in, or in a tricky spell and need to escape. I'm not sure if that worked with me, Nanan. Yeah, I don't think it did. I'm not sure we used that one. But the other ones are causing a deep sleep, which we did use later on. On the pirate ship. And brewing a storm, which we also used. And becoming invisible. 
both on the ship and... And off the ship. So, those are the spells that were available to us. Turning Invisible did come in handy later as well. So, what I like about this is it gives you these different tools to use. It's not easy to get the tools. In fact, putting the spells into the book is a little bit laborious and difficult. And actually using them in the world is also, you know, you've got to follow a certain set of instructions. But you can use them at any point that you like, essentially. And it's really up to you how you want to use the spells in order to try and further your progress in the game. And the game does allow you to do what you would think you might do. Yeah. And there would be various outcomes to do that. And there are consequences to that. In some of the latter games, so the more modern games, they would curb your thinking. was like, no, you can't do that. No. Exactly. You'd be like, I don't want to do that. That could be dangerous. The narration or the thoughts of the protagonist. Oh, I can't do that. Or, no, Naomi wouldn't allow me to do this. So Naomi? Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm digressing into Broken Sword. Uh, Nico? Nico? Who's Naomi? Who's Naomi? I don't know who Naomi is. You're thinking of Nicole Collard. I'm sure we'll find out later on. <laughs> Look to 2025 when we've discovered who the fuck I'm talking about. <laughs> Now, I, I brought up the eagle for a specific point, is that once the spider has been defenestrated into the sea, you can go inside the cave that it was guarding, and in the cave is an oracle, a seer of some sort, that gets the old crystal ball out, and you have a bit of a, uh, a, bit of a sesh with them, during which, this is like the story dump time, they reveal that your name is not actually Gwydion, your name is Alexander, and you are the son and heir of the kingdom of daventry you are the son of king graham who was stolen as a baby uh, well yeah well this is in the game yeah and i'm just saying like those who have watched the podcast without watching us play the game spoilers yes well spoilers yes but if you're listening to us discuss the entire game then i i would hope that you would know we were going to talk about what happens in it but anyway either way watch the fucking game stop plugging the youtube channel man <laughs> <laughs> uh, sorry, well, you should. You should, you should. So, yeah, you find out at that point that your destiny lies elsewhere, that you have royal birth, that you are destined for greater things. And this is the moment that ties the rest of the game into the rest of the King's Quest saga. Because originally, for a long time, I was like, well, this is, this is just a new story. This has got nothing to do with the old ones. And at this point, we figured out that actually it is connected. I think it also mentions, does it mention about the dragon at this point? I think there might be a vague notion. Yeah, so I think it, it does mention at this point that a dragon is threatening... I don't think, the... it, says it's a, I don't think it says it's a dragon, but maybe possibly like a, a, a great evil. Yes, threatens the kingdom of Daventry, and specifically our sister Rosella as well, who is in mortal danger as we will discover later. But I think if you remember, whilst we were playing this, we were thinking, what time frame is this? Are we, by proxy, um, in like King's Quest 2 or something, are we the great evil? Is the great quest set by uh, King... Oh, who's the first king that... Graham. Oh, Edward. Uh, king Edward, who sort of tech-chaired himself. Anyway, um... <laughs> he did tech-chair himself. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, King Edward that prophesized all this, and then unfortunately, us that have come into this, I've had to fall into his. But no, it turned out it's it's fine. Yeah, we were overthinking it a little bit on that part. So yeah, it turns out that we are just the son of King Graham, and we need to escape, get back to Daventry, 
and save Rosella from the great evil. So once we figure that out, you can get an amber stone from the oracle, which aids you in the creation of some new spells and hightail it back to the mansion. And now we pretty much had all of the things that we needed in order to create the potion, uh, the cookie, sorry, that we use to turn Mananan into a cat. I would say it's a very, very thick, crumbly potion. It is a, it's a very thick, crumbly, chewy, moist, sweet. I really fancy a cookie. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> and only on sale for two ninety nine. Two ninety nine for a single cookie. Fucking hell! Where do you work, Millie's? It turns into a cat. What would it? <laughs> Come on, <laughs> Jesus Christ! It's for for vacation. Two ninety nine. That's a bargain. <laughs> um. So you create this dough in the the laboratory using all the ingredients that you have collected, and then you can bake a cookie from this dough to which you can give Mananan. But he has to come home first. I think the problem we had is that we waited too long and then we didn't have time to hide anything by the time he came back and we basically had to reload the whole game. This became something of a theme. We had a lot of problems with the whole, the mechanics with Manana coming back and forth. Yeah, that, 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 was a, that was a big problem. The main, main problem we had, I'll explain in a minute. But once you create the cookie... He comes back and he says, Gwydion, I want some tea. And you can give him a cookie, but he won't have it. He's, he's not happy about that. He's like, I know this recipe. Bollocks. Yes, we have to make him fucking porridge, porridge or muesli <laughs> or whatever. We do. you got to make him porridge. You've got to, like, you know, boil some oats and actually make the fucking porridge. But once you've made that, you can crumble in the cookie into the porridge and then you'll eat it. Uh, yeah, do did, did we have an argument about this? It was like, why the fuck did you not just give it us in a fucking powder form rather than just making it into a cookie? Keep it in the rough, tactile, granular form that was cookie dough. Well, no, no, pre-formula, pre-cookie dough. Yeah. Which is essentially just like flour, sugar poison small wizardness i tell you what if they if ben and jerry's did a uh cat transformation cookie dough flavor i think they could make a killer what would it what what, what go on then what, what what would the name of it be it would be uh... <laughs> um, this is gonna be so bad uh... <laughs> no i can't do it <laughs> I can't the pun. clearly the uh the marketing team at ben and jerry's are actually more skilled than i am in coming up with funny names chairman meow <laughs> That's actually quite good. <laughs> Considering they're all communists over there anyway. That's quite funny. <laughs> Sorry, I could we get sued for accusing Ben and Jerry's of being communists? I don't know. Only if you say it. Anyway, moving on. Anyway, once you crumble it into the porridge, Mananan eats the cookie. And then he turns into a cat and you are free. And that's the turning point of the game, really. You can do anything you like then and it becomes a question of well what do i do now and i think we're a bit confused about what we do now we wandered around for a bit we stole some money from the bandits we fell out of the tree ladder a few times oh christ i forgot we we didn't even talk about the fucking bandits i did oh they were bastards yeah because they just would come onto the screen you know when you were too far away to run away from them and fuck you up or They'd throw you out of the treehouse if you tried to get in. You had to keep going in and out until one of them was asleep. And then 
you could nick his purse and take his money and go to the shop and get a few things. The worst thing about it was the ladder on the fucking tree, getting from the ladder to the actual treehouse was a nightmare. Yes, you could either find a secret button or turn into a fly. It wasn't a button. The rope was in the hole at the bottom of the tree. And if you pulled the rope, the tree came down. Anyway, go on. But yes, or turn into a fly and fly up there. Oh, of course. I didn't think about that. Yeah, you could have flown up, couldn't you? Yes. Okay. I think you got more points if you pulled the ladder out, though. Oh, I... Fuck the points. I, I genuinely have no idea. Well, the, there's, as always... With this kind of game, there's what you can do or what you should do. Exactly. And I always think what you can do should give you almost more points. Yeah, I think it should give you more points if you don't follow the general consensus. Like, yeah. Think, think outside the box. I think you should get points for creativity. Yeah, obviously. But obviously, if you, if you follow the rules, this is what you're supposed to do. But I, I do like the aspect that they do give you points for thinking outside the box. It's a little bit like achievements these days in, in yeah. video games or trophies under PlayStation. So like a lot of games, standard games, your achievements are, you know, kill 100 gremlins or whatever it is. I don't know. And you'll get an achievement for that or do this in a certain time without alerting anyone to your presence. But when it's adventure games, they get a bit more creative. So like when they've remastered some of the old LucasArts ones or they've done new adventure games, the achievements are for doing those weird out of the box. Let's just see what happens here. Feed gum to chicken, you know, that sort of thing. And then you'll get an achievement for it. I like that kind of shit. Me too. Anyway... What you should do at this point in the game is try and escape the land of Ludor. And the way to do that is to get passage on a ship. And this is where we messed up. Because the way to do this is you need to go into the tavern at a certain time. You're laughing already. Why? Because I know exactly what you're about to say and how... Bloody annoying it was. Yes. Yes. So you go into the tavern and you talk to some pirates. And they're very amiable pirates as it goes. And we're children of Melly Island. Of course we're going to see pirates. Of course we're going to talk to them. Little did we know that the timer had already started. <laughs> the pirates mentioned that they have a ship docked and that they're leaving. And you're like, well, can I get passage on this ship? And they're like, yar, show me your purse. And maybe I'll agree. And you show them your purse. And regardless of how much money is in your purse, they're like, yar, that'd be okay. Join us at the dock. Actually, I don't think that's correct. I think you need to uh, steal from the... The bandits. ...treetop duo... Okay. ...in order to uh, get the... But that's by the by. I, I think the point is that you don't have a purse unless you steal from them. Yes. Anyway, once you have a purse, no matter how much you've spent from the purse, they're pretty okay about it, and they're like, Yar, you can join me, crew. Join us at the dock before too long. And we'll set sail for spices and silk, the likes of which ye have never seen. At the crack of dawn. We leave at daybreak. No, so you think, oh, okay, great. I've got passage on a ship. I'll fuck off and do what else I need to do. And I'll come back when I'm ready. That's what we did. And we came back when we were ready. And what was the problem, Steve? Well, we came back and uh, they buggered off. They had indeed buggered off with our money, nonetheless. They were not lying when they said, we are going soon. Oh, shit. I think the game could have done better here 
I don't mind there being a time constraint. I do a little bit, actually. I, I don't like time constraints in adventure games. But if you're going to do it, at least say, we're leaving in 25 minutes. You've got it there. You can look at the time and be like, right, okay, they're leaving at X hour. Or it doesn't have to be that accurate, you know. They could at least say, we leave at 8.30 for 9. Or, we leave before daybreak. Exactly. And then you can make, you know, I don't think this game has a day-night cycle, but you can make some inferences from that. But just saying, we're leaving soon, you think, oh, okay, soon means when I turn up at the dock. But no, it doesn't mean that. Uh, no, what I, we're leaving soon is, we're leaving soon. Do not leave the map yes if you go anywhere it actually was if you go outside the map yeah and then back again you'll miss us they are gone yes i don't even know if it is if it's triggered for that i think it might be triggered by time i think it might be like in 10 minutes they go but you can only talk to them once and you can't say at that point no do you know what i don't think i'll be ready by that point can i uh talk to you again later and we'll... no, no 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 if you talk to them the timer starts and you can do it before mananan's gone you can talk to them really early on so this is what we did, and then we did everything, we turned him into a cat, we got our shit together, we got ready to go, and then we turned up at the dock, and he was like, well, they've gone. And then the game was, at least the game had the fucking courtesy to say, you can't win now, so game over. <laughs> it was like, guess what, hot shots? Your <laughs> ship has sailed. Literally. Very literally. But at least it did do that. The worst of the worst scenarios would be if then said, well, the ship's gone, and you spent wandering around for the next three days waiting for more pirates to show up and they never do because conceivably that could have happened i'm trying to find a silver lining here i thought this was terrible we literally had to reload the game from the beginning and play through the whole thing again to get to the point where we could catch the ship yeah, i think if you remember right we had to play through the game about three four times we cut some of this out as well for our youtube let's play and it was still like eight hours long well, you watch a playthrough. That's a fucker. Mm. Th those are the bits that are recorded. You're not selling it here, <laughs> We'd had 17 takes, and that was the best one. <laughs> so, when you finally do manage to catch the ship, you move into what is really the second act of the game, and I think the game became a lot less interesting at this point. Yes, this is where it became more linear. This is the wind-down part. I'm not dumping on linearity. I just... I was really intrigued by the first half of the game because it was such a shift from the original two games. Even with the annoying timed bullshit that went on with it, which could have been done a lot better. I don't know. I thought it mixed it up a lot, and I was I did quite like it. What hadn't been done before? It hadn't been done before. That I think that lent it a uh, certain novelty, which does pay off. I would say hasn't really been done since, but it kind of has. I couldn't comment too much. I haven't played every adventure game there is. Most adventure games, once LucasArts, Monkey Island changed everything, really. A certain etiquette has developed within games in regards to this sort of thing, which maybe wasn't around at the time. It's pretty much expected that you're not going to be surprised by unexpected time constraints on what you're doing. You know, if someone says all will be, you know, setting off for this here or this mission's going to happen at some point. They don't literally say, well, you've got to do it in 20 minutes or you're fucked. It's expected that the game will wait for you. Do you know what I mean? Now, is that because of this particular game? 
I wouldn't say it's because of this particular game. I think it's just something that's developed over time. It wouldn't be unreasonable to say that it was this particular game because that's exactly what they fucking did. Well, yes, it was what they did in this game. But I think those expectations of games hadn't been built up particularly yet because it was still early days. So a lot of older games don't behave in ways than which you would expect games to behave nowadays. You can get caught out by this sort of stuff. Anyway, you get on the ship. You don't get very um, privileged passage on this ship. In fact, you're thrown into the depths of it, the hold, as it were, and basically treated like another slave. Well, to be fair, you say another slave, you're on your own wherever you are. Yeah, you're in the bowels of this ship. The colon of the of the ship, but you, you're on your own. If nothing else, there's a kind of a solitudinal torture. <laughs> That's uh, existential. Yeah, you're uh, you're in the bowels of the ship, and you need to figure out a way to get home to Daventry. So the first thing that you would capture in the bowels of the ship are a pair of mice. And what spell do we have access to if we've played the game correctly at this point? Aha! Turn into an eagle and eat the fucking mice. You could do that. Well, you couldn't actually. It doesn't let you do that. No, it wouldn't because I'm pretty sure that's the thing that I suggested. <laughs> exactly. You see, now if the game had been really creative, it would have rewarded you for that. However, instead what happens is you can talk to the animals and if you take the potion to do that... You listen to the mice, and they discuss where the pirates have buried their treasure. Aha! Aha-ha-ha-ha-ha. It funnels you into that, doesn't it? It does. But I don't think that actually retrieving the pirate treasure, which you can do later in the game, does anything, apart from get you some points. No, uh, it gives you... It, oh, in King's Quest 1, King's Quest 2, and also in King's Quest, you are given points for accruing the most amount of AU i.e. gold so by acquiring said treasure it does allow you to get the maximum amount of points yes so it's a points thing it is very much a points thing you, you don't have to but it does give you quite a substantial amount of booty so to speak so it's a optional extra that you can indulge in the main thing that you need to do is to knock out the inhabitants of the ship so that you can get away so there is a spell that you can cast which puts everyone to sleep but i don't think you have everything that you need for that at the moment oh yeah you don't have anything at this point sorry i've completely forgot that so you've got to go to the captain's quarters while he's not there and retrieve all your belongings from his chest you can also go up to the crow's nest and retrieve some items from there you can go around the ship to some extent and get some things but largely you're trying to avoid the crew and sneak around and, and get oh, what yeah. you need ah yes because if you get seen by the crew they throw you in the hold yes yes they do they put you straight back there so what you can do is you can cast some spells so we tried originally because we thought this would be a good idea to cast the brewing up a storm spell and it works you can do it but it fucks shit Oh. It fucks out all the shit up. It's basically your ship then gets caught in a storm and sinks and everyone dies. Yes, you're, you are essentially the epicenter of hell on earth. There's wind, there's fire, the cats and dogs living together. Mass hysteria. Mass hysteria. 
So that didn't work, but I was quite pleased to see that it let you do it. It was an actual option. It yes. was, yes. The other thing is that you can do, you can still turn into an eagle or a fly and try and fly away, but you get lost and can't get back to the ship, which is very disturbing. And then you basically have to reload. And the other thing that you can do is you can cast a spell to make everyone go to sleep, which is useful to some extent. However, if you do that... It gives you a clue. No, it fucking doesn't. This took us ages. What's the clue it gives you? It's something along the lines of if only they weren't doing something or something, something. Thanks. I'm pretty sure I was the one who figured it out anyway. Okay, so if you cast this spell, everyone goes to sleep, and then you get a, um, a little screen that comes up that says, Hooray, you've put everyone to sleep. Now there's no one to drive the ship and you don't know where you are, so you'll drift aimlessly forever. The end. Oh, and you die. You do die. That's the end of the game. That's the end of the game. So what you have to do is, and this is the most bullshit thing in the whole game, you have to wait. And not just a bit, you've got to wait for like 15 minutes in the hold. Just standing there, doing nothing. And eventually someone says, land ahoy. But it ta- it literally takes like 15 minutes. Is that right? It takes a long time. Did we only find this out because we were too busy pissing about? <laughs> Pretty much, yeah. You've got to wait a long time. I've, maybe I'm exaggerating with 50 minutes, but it's quite a while. And eventually they'll say, land ahoy. And once they've spotted land, then you cast the spell to put everyone to sleep. I'd forgotten how much that was a bullshit concept. That is a bullshit concept. That's the worst part of the game. That's rubbish. So you put everyone to sleep and then... You can exit the ship and swim to land, avoiding sharks. I forgot, yes. You have to wait till you get to land, then put people to sleep. That's it. No, 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 no. You don't put people to sleep. Oh, yes, you have to wait till the ship spots land. Yes, Sorry. that's when you have to wait yes. till they land, then put people to sleep. Well, initially, when you said you have to put, when you put people to sleep, I was like, shall we? We did. But no, you're right. Yeah, you have to wait. You've got to wait 10 minutes until the spot <laughs> land. Yes. Then put people to sleep. Yeah. That was the most annoying part of the game, by far. But yeah, once that happens, you can exit the ship, and then sharks try and eat you in the water, and you have to do some clever manoeuvring between screens in order to escape them, but it can be done. And then once you get to land, you find the beach that the mice were speaking of. If you find the right tree and walk the correct amount of paces, whatever that means in the weird animation walk cycle that you've been given. Uh, fuck, I forgot about this. And dig in the right place, then you dig up the treasure, which we did. Yes. Is it all coming back to you now? Yes. As Meatloaf once said. Celine Dion. <laughs> Jim Steinman. Yes. And then you take an epic journey across mountains and ravines and valleys in order to reach the kingdom of daventry this was actually um quite a difficult part of the game in terms of negotiating physical beanstalk moments i like to call them (laughs) (laughs) yes i think beanstalk moments is a very very apt term term. yeah in which you have to like actually sort of dodge objects and you know it's not cerebral it's let's actually try and walk in the right place you can use your eagle power at this point which is useful because it can fly up above the mountains you can bypass the yeti's cave and not get eaten by it which is very useful uh by fly 
I believe. You can turn into a fly, yeah, as well. And then you have to um, rappel down the side of some ice cliff and go through various caves which come out in various other places. Ah, yeah, it's, it's a puzzle. You have to negotiate left to right and... Uh... Basically, there's like five different doors in the side of the cave and when you go in one, you come out at another one and you have to figure out which doors you have to go in to come out, where and where you can climb and where you can't to get to the bottom. What I like to think of a uh, Scooby-Doo hallway. Yes, I always think of Indiana Jones and the Face of Atlantis. There's a whole puzzle about that where you're in the uh, Atlantis's inner core, so to speak, and got to go across the lava and stuff. Uh, it was very similar to that. But obviously this predated this by um, a good seven years. So I'm going to go with Scooby-Doo hallway. Let's go with Scooby-Doo hallway. So once you actually negotiate all of this and get down to town, you actually come back to Daventry, which is looking very different at this time. The little door in the wall that led up to the Cloud Kingdom has been destroyed. There's debris everywhere. The well's filled in. It looks like there's been Glastonbury on one of the fields. There's some old guy with a banjo and, you know, he's, he's very like that southern stereotype, sitting in a rocking chair on his porch outside his house. And he fills you in on everything that's gone on in the world. Do you remember this bit? I do. Uh, did we not think this was the afterlife or possibly the... Uh, the peasants. The dwarf. Oh, the dwarf. What, the one who steals your shit? Uh, what was his name? Uh, Frumpy Pigskin. Yeah, Frumpy Pigskin. I don't... Oh, Rumpels... Oh, no, you mean the... Tr the, um... The gnome, yeah. The gnome, Rump that's Rump it, the gnome. Rump Sorry, I thought you meant... Because there's a dwarf in the original one as well that steals all your shit. Uh, he's also in the is in the second one as well. No, he has a hat. He is in the second one as well. No, but no, he lives in the tree! Come on, dude. You mean if and coven... <laughs> him. Yeah, it's never stated, but I like to think that this is him in his retirement. Yeah, frumpy pigskin in his retirement after uh, we fucked up his lean-to in the first King's Quest. <laughs> we did. Well, we took everything he had. We took his key because we guessed his name. Yeah, and it went off and had a retirement home about three and a half meters away <laughs> from the castle front. Yeah, he graduated from his lean-to and is now in a... Uh, a shithole. <laughs> a tin-roofed shack. <laughs> So, anyway, he tells you about everything that's happened, about your abduction, essentially, about the great evil in the form of the three-headed dragon that came to Daventry, the kidnapping of Rosella, and gives you your quest, which is essentially to go and kill the dragon. So, you can find the dragon by going up the same staircase that you got the key for before to avoid the beanstalk, and that takes you to the Cloud Kingdom, and in the Cloud Kingdom is not the giant, but is the dragon with Rosella tied to a stake. If you approach the dragon face on, he will fuck you up. He'll just burn you to a cinder. So what you need to do is to cast the invisibility spell first so he can't see you. That allows you to walk onto the screen where he is. And then if you cast the storm spell rather than sink your boat, what it'll do is strike him dead with lightning. It will fuck his shit up. It will fuck his shit up, much like it fucked your shit up at sea. Well, indeed. I think that was a precursor to this event. So once that's done, pretty much you finish the game. You go and you untie Rosella. The two of you reconnect, brother and sister, after many years. And then you go to visit your parents, King Graham and Valenice, in the castle. I want to say you, you rescue the princess, but in, instead of marrying her, you... 
live alongside. Well, quite, yeah. It's not that sort of a kingdom. You are very much the Luke, Luke Skywalker in this kind of... Uh... Tale. Except you never actually kiss her, which Luke Skywalker does, which is weird. He doesn't get off with her. She kisses him in Empire Strikes Back. You've seen it. Yeah, it's only like a, well, yeah. No tongue. No tongue. I don't know. I think he slipped to the tongue briefly. Well, incest aside. The final scene is you and your sister and King Graham and Queen Valenice in the throne room of the Castle of Daventry. And King Graham decides it's high time that he pass his adventurer's hat onto someone else. And he takes it and he tosses it towards you and your sister. And I think there the game ends, doesn't it? Well, it kind of like rolls, rolls, rolls. But it would be a bit of a shitty game if <laughs> my family, my sister, my mom, my dad. Now you can have my adventurous cap. Da, 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 da. Who's going to be the uh, protagonist of the next one? The hat falls slowly onto. It'd be a dick move. What, for it to be his sister? No, it'd be the dick move. It turned out to be him, the son. Why would that be a dick move? Because like, I've just found you guys. Right, you're the adventurer now. Now, fuck off. What, you don't think he wants to be an adventurer? Well, no, no. It's more of the fact of this dude has only just re-established himself after 18 years as part of the kingdom. Oh, okay. I see your point. And he doesn't get a rest, you know, he doesn't get to put his feet up. The first time he wanders into the kingdom, into the castle, his dad throws a hat at him and he goes, <laughs> who's going to be the next adventurer? Ooh. Get out. Get out an adventure. Uh, I've just got here. There's like me, me sis, me mum, me dad. Me dad's been adventuring for ages. Me mum, she's had a dragon quest. And, uh, Miss Sis, well, she's just been attached to a hook and dragon. Well, so I'm sorry, why has King Graham suddenly turned into some sort of drunk northerner? Late from all the bosses, <laughs> I don't know. So yeah, so that's the end of the game. And I, um, yeah, what did you think of it, Stephen? Well, initially I was irritated because it took us a long time. It did. It took us a long time. But weirdly enough, most of the time when we do the review, I have like a little bit of a, well, you know, I reflect mm. on the whole aspect of it and go, yeah, actually, no, that was actually really good. Yep. Thinking about it, no, that was actually really pivotal point in point and click adventure. Yes. That hasn't happened before. Fuck me, that was difficult. Jesus Christ, by God, it was the most difficult game. I, you know what? It was. I would say it's up there. In the most difficult point-and-click adventure games. No, I would absolutely agree. It was very, very challenging. And I quite like that about it. But I think it is notorious, having looked at it since, that for being quite a difficult game. Um, it's difficult. The only thing we had to figure out was the spells. But that's only because we didn't have the book. Yeah, if we'd have had the and book. And I don't think that's our fault in this day and age. No, I don't think so either. But there are aspects to it which significantly up the difficulty from the previous game. So number one, having a timer and having time-sensitive puzzles. Not only time-sensitive puzzles, but having portions of the game where you literally cannot progress until you wait for something to happen. That is a design flaw. But that 
only happened later on in the game. No, it didn't. It didn't happen earlier. So there's there's points in the game early on where you have to wait for Mananan to come home or to go away. And you can't really do anything in the meantime. Well, yeah. And if you miss the boat, if you wait too long to do something and he comes back... You literally miss the boat. Yeah, well, <laughs> that's not what I was going for. But yes, that too. And if you like wait too long and he comes home, then you have to wait like another half an hour for him to bugger off again. And like you can't do anything in that time. You just have to do all the stuff he tells you to do. Otherwise he evaporates you. It's one of those ones where um, in this culture, which would be like, how quickly can you complete King's Quest 3? By logically doing things in the right order. It's trial and error is the way that it's set up. You have to know his schedule. And the only way you can know his schedule is by playing through it once and failing. And then going back and being like, right, well, he's away for X amount of time. I've got to go here. I've got to do this, 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 and this, and this order. Which you couldn't have done not knowing where it all is in the time period that you need to. And then you can progress. But... I think this is partly an aspect of the way that games increased longevity in the old days it wasn't through content, it was through being shit hard and having to learn what's going to happen. It's like that was part of the game. Oh, no, I, I agree, I agree. Um... But it feels cheap at the same time. There's no puzzle solving there. But how would you expect to learn the mechanics? just through playing it i guess and that's exactly what you do well it is yeah but my point is that even if you're like the most skilled adventure gamer in the world you could not load it up never having played it before and play it all through once and not die there's no way you could one shot this no you couldn't one shot it even if you were the cleverest person in the world because it's not about figuring it out it's about knowing what's going to happen that's the genius of it there's me and you who have played countless point-and-click adventures. And within the first three games, we get fucking arse-spanked. We did get arse-spanked. By things that predated our birth. Well, that's because games used to be harder. They've gotten easy, you know. It's like people don't like... No, I think, that, I think that's amazing. I think <laughs> back in the day, they... Um... Can I just say it didn't predate either of our births? Uh, just... Oh, it's 1986, we all won, whatever. <laughs> but no, I appreciated that about it. Like I say, I've sort of had a love-hate relationship with it. It pissed me off in ways which the first two games did not, where I was like, that's just cheap as fuck, you can't do that. But at the same time, I think I liked it overall, having finished it, I like it more than the first two. I just found it more interesting. I, I found the story certainly more interesting. There was more of an idea of character... As sequels go, it stepped it up a fucking notch. Like, four notches. Yeah, it was certainly more ambitious. And not just in its storytelling. It kicked you in the nuts for even trying to attempt to play it. Yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was a challenge. And a very enjoyable one. And I had a very good time playing it, but it did take us a while. Just imagine what it was like trying to figure it out if you hadn't had the precursor of point-and-click adventures. And if you couldn't save the game, and if you had a manual, <laughs> which we didn't. If you've grown up playing point-and-click adventures, yeah. you have a certain expectation of how point-and-click adventures work. Yeah. But this was the game that came out that started off how fucking difficult point-and-click adventures are. There's no precursor to this. 
This was a game that made Ron Gilbert write that article, Why Adventure Games Suck, which led to the creation of Monkey Island, where you can't die. Yes. Actually, not true, but... Well, no, that's true. But yeah, I thought it was by far the most interesting one we'd done so far. Absolutely. I, I, I think this is by far a gem. Yeah. A gem. However you look at it, it really is. Yeah, and having done a few since then as well, which we need to review as well, I think this still is my favourite that we've done so far. Because how, how it started, how it, how it grows. Just the amount of freedom you're given in terms of what you can do. The non-linearity of it I really enjoyed. I thought the story and the characters were a lot better than before, and I thought the mechanics of the game were more interesting as well than anything i've done since certainly so far this one was the one which i felt broke the mold a little by far that's what i mean it expands in every direction it does yeah it was a a leap forward for the genre i would say so would you rate it highly then your experience playing this now i've got to be very careful how i say this having played it and played the first two it's good but as we just discussed in the last 10 minutes there's been colossal experimentation forward, left, right, and center. And whilst talking about it, it has really made me think how good the game actually was. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I think it certainly was a step up from the, the previous two. Yeah, I genuinely think it was pioneering. Yeah, I would agree. And the bits that fucked me off almost add to its charm. It's not perfect, but the flaws there are kind of endearing in a way, just because you don't see them anymore. You can just miss the fucking boat. I think the reason why it pissed you off (laughs) is predated our expectations. Exactly. And then you have to go back and you have to learn its ways. (laughs) That's it. It's a subtle seduction of the kinky chorale of King's Quest 3. I tried to do some alliteration there. I couldn't end it with King's Quest 3. So, yeah, I liked the fact that it was difficult. It was more of a sense of achievement for having finally beat it. But anyway, we're getting to um, time. I think we need to draw this to a close. So, uh, yeah, I think both of us really enjoyed it. I think both of us thought it was a massive step up from the original two. And both of us are looking forward to continuing with this story in the future. Oh, absolutely. So, that was King's Quest 3, To Air is Human. We next shall be covering Space Quest, which is the first of a new genre from Sierra. And we will discuss that when next we convene. Until then, thank you for hanging on this long for us. And we will see you next time. My name is Jim, aka Mr. Spatula. And I'm Steve. AKA the Chap in the Hat. And we have been the Graphic Adventurers, and we will see you on our next episode. Farewell. Good night.